and welcome or welcome back to Scottish and Scared. I'm Stephanie and before we get into it, if you guys listening have ever had any strange or unusual experiences or have any requests for future episodes, they do not have to be based here in Scotland, please email them over to us at scottishandscared at gmail.com. You can also follow us on Instagram at scottishandscaredpod and if you wouldn't mind, please rate, review and share whatever you may be listening. Big thank you to everyone who already has. Yes, hello everyone. I hope everyone is well and keeping safe as always. I have been gone for a couple of weeks. At the moment I'm trying I'm kind of trying to juggle a lot of things in my personal life with work and family. It's as the saying goes I've got a lot of plates spinning. So that's taking up quite a lot of my spare time. But I really 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 want to make sure that I'm putting out an episode every single week because and I think I've said this before but doing this kind of thing is kind of like a therapy in a way for me it kind of takes me away from everything and lets me concentrate on something that I'm really interested in so that is my plan going forward I know that consistency is key with these types of things but I think we all know at this point life happens and sometimes consistency just it's just impossible to keep up the same thing every week when there's so many different things happening I've managed to come up with a plan and my plan is that Sunday will be my upload day because it's just the easiest day for me to do it. I work Monday to Friday, I've got a lot of things going on at work right now so my days kind of change every single day, I don't really know what I'm in for until I wake up that day so it's kind of hard for me to plan a specific day but Sunday is the day I will be uploading every single Sunday. If there is any reason why I can't I usually put this up on our story on Instagram, so if you want to know more about that or you want to be in the loop, per se, then go over and follow us on Instagram because that's where we kind of put up that kind of stuff. I have a little tea here, so if you hear some clinging and clanging, that's what it is. But all that out of the way, there's nothing really exciting to update you guys on. We are still in a lockdown uh, I think today our first minister announced that that's going to be relaxed mid-April, end of April. So another month in lockdown, I kind of just at the end of my tether with it, if I'm being honest. I just feel like uh, most of my friends don't live in the city that I live in. I live in Glasgow. Uh, most of my friends stay on the kind of outskirts of Glasgow, so I can't really visit any of them because we're not supposed to travel within tiers or like outside of your city and stuff so it's been really difficult but you've just kind of got to look at the positives there's a lot of things that I've been able to do because I'm in lockdown so I am grateful but at the same time I'm really starting to I'm really starting to get pissed off like I just want to sit in a beer garden somewhere and have a beer or something like that or even just see my friends in the flesh that would be absolutely wonderful but for the next month we are indoors so there will be nothing really interesting going on. Hopefully, hopefully we can start getting out in April and I can start maybe putting some more interesting stuff up on the Instagram and actually travelling places that I want to go. So I'm really looking forward to that. But apart from that, there's really been nothing else. I think the only other thing that I did was I watched the Netflix documentary on the Cecil Hotel. I know it's a bit late, but can you guys please get in touch and let me know what you thought about it? I I personally don't really understand like why the first two episodes of this documentary were kind of like 
they were kind of trying to uh, convince us, I felt, that that something bad had happened to Elisa Lam, um, that it wasn't an accident. So I felt like they tried to use these episodes, the first like two or three episodes, to like convince you that there was foul play. But then in the very last two episodes, <clears throat> they kind of just turned around and were basically like, right, spoilers guys if you haven't watched it, but in the last two episodes they kind of turned around and were like, oh no, she was suffering from mental illness, she was having an episode, um, it was an accidental drowning. So I felt like they built you up these first two episodes to kind of be like, oh my god, like there was something, there was foul play involved, or it was murder, something's not right, something's iffy, and then they just turned around and were like, no, no, nothing happened, she just, um, she basically had a manic episode and she just fell in. So I felt like it was a bit, it was a bit confusing. I think a lot of my sister, she texted me as well and was like, what actually happened to this girl? Like, I'm so confused. So it was very confusing, but I did still enjoy it. I like anything spooky and weird. But there was one thing that I would like to ask. Did anybody find the hotel manager at the time of this incident uh, one of the scariest women I have ever seen? I don't know if she's just had too much Botox or she's had plastic surgery or something, but she looks like she's been held at gunpoint and told to say all these nice things about this hotel. It's as if somebody's like standing behind the camera telling her, you need to say this script or I'm going to shoot you in the face because there is no emotion on her face and she just, it's like she doesn't blink. It's so bizarre. She's one of the strangest people I've ever seen. And like the way she talks about the hotel is as if she's talking about like a baby she's very like she romanticizes it and she's very like oh it was such it, she she makes out as if it's like a diamond in the rough it's just got a bad reputation and obviously in a lot of ways it is but it's just the way she talks about it. it's really really creepy really really creepy but if you guys have no idea what i'm talking about i probably should have said this at the, at the start uh it's a documentary about the Cecil Hotel, which is a hotel in America, uh, in LA. It's notorious for murders, rapes, assaults, um, disappearances, it's all this kind of stuff. It's located next to Skid Row, which is like a really, really a massive homeless uh, population. There's a massive homeless population there. Uh, so it it's kind of, there's a lot of dark stuff that's happened there, including the disappearance of Elisa Lam. So if you're interested in anything like that, I would definitely check it out. Uh, it's worth a watch. But as I said, it's a bit confusing why they build everything up to just turn around and say, um, no, everything, everything's fine, there was no foul play, blah, blah, blah. I think as well, I really need to stop watching true crime documentaries. I tend to watch these when I'm on my own which is quite a lot right now. So I'll be laying in bed watching my true crime documentary and then I'll have this weird realisation that the events that are taking place within this documentary could very well happen to me in my current situation. So then I start to get paranoid and then I'll hear noises in my house that I've never heard before and I'll convince myself that somebody's trying to break in. So I think <laughs> I really need to stop watching true crime at like weird hours in the morning when it's dark I just I, I really need to stop does anybody else do that no anywho enough of my absolute ramblings today's episode was actually sent over to us by a listener and when I looked, first looked at it um it was an article that they sent over and when I first looked at it and read it I was like wow that's bizarre but then when I actually sat down and started to like 
look into it, kind of get all my notes together. There is literally near to nothing online about this case. There is a few kind of news articles that you really, really need to go digging for. They're not just like, you can't just write in something on Google and it pops up. There was also news articles from the actual time the incident occurred, which are really, really old. So they're very, very difficult to read. I kind of just collated everything that I was able to find in one document and then I just kind of mushed it together to try and come up with a story. Uh, there was a news article, I think it was in the Edinburgh Times, don't quote me on that, I don't know, it was it was an Edinburgh paper anyway, which was the article that the listener sent over. It's very, very detailed, but I didn't just want to copy and paste it from the article, I kind of wanted to dig a bit deeper into it and see what it was about. Shockingly, we are back in the capital, in the city of Edinburgh. Now, when I started looking into this case, the amount of murder cases that I had to sift through to find this one is insane. Of course, Edinburgh is a massive city, it is the capital, but the amount of these murders that happened in such close proximity to each other is absolutely mind-boggling. Um, a lot of the murders did take place at a time when Edinburgh was kind of poverty-stricken in these types of areas. There's a lot of poor houses and stuff like that. I really, 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 I don't know if I want to start a series on it, although the whole podcast is talking about things that happened in Scotland, I don't know if I want to start like a specific series that talks about the murders in Edinburgh because there are so many and they're really, really obscure, like they're really bizarre, I've never heard anything about them. So I don't know whether to just start a new series and just talk about maybe Scottish murders and then have two episodes a week, one being um, a normal, weird, like, strange cases and then specifically murder cases i know that when i started this podcast murder cases were not something that i really wanted to talk about i love true crime but sometimes i feel like you can get it wrong sometimes and you don't want to be offending anybody or mixing up facts so murder cases were something that i wanted to stay away from i was really really interested in this case and i would really like to do more so you guys can let me know would you like me to start a new series where i specifically talk about scottish murders and also do our other episode where we just talk about strange ghost stories and stuff like that in castles you guys can let me know but that is something that i'm considering doing i'm sure that the murders i am rambling on about will be revisited in a future episode but the murder i will be talking about today took place in candlemaker row which is in the area of greyfriars cutyard which we have actually done an episode on so go check that out if you're interested uh this area of edinburgh is known as old town it's a very beautiful place whenever i stay in edinburgh i stay in old town nightlife there's pubs and stuff like that the main man of this story is mr william lamb who was born in glasgow in 1864 and made his home there for 27 years after that he moved on to inverness and took up employment as a chimney sweep now anytime i think of chimney sweeps i think mary poppins anybody else Okay. While William was living in Inverness, he got married and started a family of his own. He had three children, one of which went on to be a soldier and then went on to win the Humane Society's bronze and silver medals. He won these for saving the lives of some people that were drowning. So, throughout his life, William was known to be a very hard-working guy, an all-around very nice man. He was had a very nice family. 
Unfortunately, William would be involved in an accident where he lost both his arms. He was run down by a lorry in the Cope Bridge area, which is just kind of outside of Glasgow. Um, and that was so that's a very sad outcome. He did lose both his arms. One was completely taken off at the shoulder and the other was kind of taken off just under. So he had like a stump, if you will, just under his shoulder at the time of his accident. William did have a very positive reputation in Inverness and his local community decided to all chip in and get him a treadle barrel organ, which is kind of like an organ that you can move. So you can it's kind of small, very compact. It has wheels, you can move it around and you can play it with your feet. So the idea was that William could use this organ to make a living instead of having to seek out poor relief, which is like benefits nowadays. So they got them, him this organ to kind of help him by and just kind of let him keep a bit of his pride. I know that sometimes when people are in accidents like this, it's extremely difficult to accept that, you know, you're not going to be able to do all the things that you were prior. So they just gave him this organ and he was pleased and he used it to make a living. In 1919, William decided to leave his wife and children to travel to Edinburgh with his treadle barrel organ. While he was there, he took up cheap housing in the lodging house at 88 Candlemaker Row. But William did not have his own private room. No, he had to share room 11 with Miss Agnes White, who was 41 at the time and who had also left her husband in seek of a better life. So at this point, I didn't really know why William and Agnes had left their partners. Uh, it kind of wasn't said, but I will touch on that um, closer to the end of the story just in case you're a bit confused as to why they just up and left. Now, the pair were known to like a bit of a swally. They would both go out during the day and do their own thing. They would go to work, do all the kinds of things that they needed to do during the day. And then at night, they would be seen sitting in the room having a drink. Now, the woman who owned the lodging house was Miss Margaret Ross. She claimed that the two would drink together almost every night and it usually ended in some sort of argument or disagreement. There were even claims that William would become violent and kick Agnes when they got heated. So the pair are kind of drinking together, they're getting angry, the alcohol's fueling it and they're just becoming extremely violent, um, arguing, disrupting the rest of the people that live in the building. So this is a known fact to everybody who knows them and lives around them. On July 23rd, 1919, the day started the exact same as it usually did for the both of them. William spent most of his day playing his organ on the street and Agnes was off doing whatever it was that she was doing. Later on that night, the pair took to their regular scheduled programming and decided to drink into the night. The next day, one of the neighbours had complained that they heard William scream, get up and give me my pipe, which was then followed by loud stamping on the floor and a woman screaming out in pain. Before any of these complaints or claims could be investigated by the landlord, William had actually walked out of the room 11 and plodded on down to the police station where he went inside and told the first officer he seen, which happened to be Detective Sergeant Francis Horace Berry, that Agnes White was dead. Uh, the detective kind of looked at William as if, uh, are you alright mate, have you been drinking? And then looked down at his clothes and noticed that his shirt was speckled with blood. So obviously the officers decided to have a look. Went back to the residence with William to validate these crimes. 
They found Agnes dead on the ground with blood all over her face and on the walls of the room. William was then taken into custody and, as expected, charged with the murder of Agnes White. When the autopsy was conducted, it was concluded that Agnes died due to trampling. So if you think about that, William had actually managed to get this woman to the ground and then trample her to death. I'm assuming that they were obviously drunk, so she maybe could maybe have stumbled onto the ground or and found it hard to get back up. But just think about how hard William would have had to have stamped on this woman's head to kill her. Like, if you were to put your hands behind your back and then, you know, like, try and trample something on the ground, it's difficult. I mean, I do it with cardboard boxes and it's, you know, it's a workout. So I, could nev- I couldn't imagine how crazed and, I don't know, difficult that would be to do to someone to the point where you killed them. William's trial took place in October 1919 at the High Court of Edinburgh. There wasn't really much to go over in terms of evidence or witness testimony because, you know, William just went right on in there and told them, hey, I've murdered somebody. But there were several witnesses there were several witnesses called to testify at court. The first was Agnes's husband, Andrew Sterling, who told the court that he had actually left Agnes after the death of their three children. I couldn't really find what caused the death of their children. Agnes began to drink excessively and probably a lot of that was to do with her grief. Um, And unfortunately, it just got out of control. So Andrew decided he'd had enough and he left. The second witness was William's sister, Bridget Lamb, and she told the court that William had never been the same after his accident, which... It's understandable to an extent, like, it's understandable that somebody could be depressed, uh, turn to drink or drugs or other things to kind of alleviate the pain, really, of losing two of your limbs. But murder, that's a stretch. But just like Agnes, he had become a drinker and just became very unhappy with his current life. She also told the court that William had left behind a living wife and a living wife and three healthy living children in Inverness. His wife did actually take an interest in the case and she really, really did try to help her husband even though he was essentially a piece of shit and hadn't really been the nicest man to be married to. And the third was the landlady of the house at 88 Candlemaker Row along with some of the other residents in the building who had all heard William and Agnes fighting on many, many occasions. There were stories of Agnes taking shelter in other residents' rooms to try and protect herself from William, as well as people seeing William kicking Agnes as she had previously claimed. I just find this so bizarre that a man with no arms could be so disruptive on a level where they're violent and, you know, they're actually so aggressive and violent to the point where they're making other people around them seek shelter away from them it's just the fact that he has no arms like you never hear of cases of people who have murderers who have no arms or people who are like bad people that are involved in domestic violence or abuse you've i've never heard of anybody having no arms but that's besides the point i just find it so bizarre that this man was able to cause such fear in people so i don't think this will come as a shock but william was found guilty of the murder and sentenced to death although his lawyer did write a petition to the Secretary of State for Scotland stating that William should be granted some reprieve as he was not, he was the one who reported the murder in the first place and he had shown deep grief and regret over what he had done. 
not to mention the fact that he had no arms. The Secretary of State rejected this petition and stated the crime that William had committed was a sordid and brutal one. He also was fully aware of what he was doing while he was doing it, as it would have taken him a while to trample Agnes to death. So there was plenty of time to come to the realisation of what he was doing and stop and find Agnes help. But he didn't. He just continued until the woman was lifeless and eventually died. But for some reason, but for some reason, the court decided to imprison William for life instead of killing him. I think the decision was based on the fact that it didn't really look great to be hanging a man with no arms. I think that would have looked quite shady, even though he's a bad man, he did a bad thing. I think that would have looked a bit shady to hang a man with a disability. So William was imprisoned at the Peterhead prison in 1920 and he stayed there until he turned 67 in 1931. While he was there, he was described as an extremely difficult inmate. He would verbally abuse the staff and he would regularly destroy the contents of his cell. When he was punished, he would just continue to do these things over and over and over. Due to his disability, he was unable to clothe himself or feed himself. So this did become, like, it started to wear on the prison staff. They even bought him an artificial arm that had a spoon appendage, but he completely refused to use it. So at this point, everyone's patience is wearing extremely thin. Nobody wants to deal with him. Like, he's just a big baby, really, throwing all the shit out of the pram. And they just don't want to deal with it. In 1931, they decided to release him, but there was nobody to take him in. None of his family wanted to take him in, and his children refused to take him in. So they kind of just pottered about looking for different people. They even spoke to his nephew, um, and they just, nobody wanted anything to do with him. So they didn't really have a choice, um, and it, it, was that, it was at that point that he was handed over to the governor of Barnhill Poorhouse in Glasgow. And, of course, he very quickly became a nuisance and, once again, very difficult to live with. He would terrorise the other residents. He would just be extremely defiant. He was uh, known to be a smoker, which... How do you smoke with no arms? Like, no shade, I'm literally asking a genuine question. How do you smoke? Like, how could you light a cigarette? I don't know. Um, He was known to smoke, so... He would just smoke and smoke and smoke over and over and over while he was in his bed. And obviously, I don't smoke, so I know, I know that feeling when you're in a room with somebody and there's like six people smoking. It's not nice. So I can imagine nobody wanted to be around him. He was just becoming a pain in the arse as he was in the prison. In 1934, William actually managed to escape from the poorhouse and managed to get all the way back to Edinburgh once more. When he was there, he walked into a police station and asked the officers to take him back to prison. He claimed that the conditions in prison were 100 times better than that of the poorhouse. They contacted the poorhouse back in Glasgow, but the governor did not want William back due to his poor behaviour. And they were once again in a position where they were trying to find alternative accommodation for William with no success. And it was that same year that William went on to die in the hospital ward of Barnhill Poorhouse, so back at the place that he didn't want to be in, and he actually died from bronchial pneumonia. So there's no conspiracy here, there's no like, oh he didn't do it, he didn't have any arms. He definitely killed 
poor Agnes. But I just thought it was bizarre. I've never heard of a murder case where the murderer had no arms or legs. I've never heard of a murder story period where the murderer has had a disability or had limbs. No limbs. I think that's really, really obscure. The house that this uh, crime actually took place in does still exist in Edinburgh today. It's still standing. You can see it. You can go visit it. You can look at it. Um, there was. It was reported that the house was completely demolished. There were even reports of the floor that this happened on being taken away. But that's false as well. I don't know if this is the same in other countries as it is here in Scotland. But if you live in a flat building, the very the, the ground floor, the bottom floor, is zero. So it's like zero one, and then it's one one two one. So it's like zero floor, what first floor, second floor. It's not like first floor, second floor. If that makes sense, the, this this crime actually took place on the first floor, which would have been one up. If that makes sense, I think I'm actually starting to confuse myself now. So that that's still there. The building is still like two stories. So like the first floor. Oh, this is so confusing. <laughs> this is so confusing. The building is like ground floor, first floor, so the flat where this happened is still there. The building is not used as flats anymore. It is uh, home to the Grass Market Community Project and the number has been changed to 86, it's no longer 88. The community project is just, um, it's like a mission where they help people who are impoverished and stuff, people that are just in need. So I don't think you would be able to physically get into the building as it is obviously a business building now. But it is still there. You can walk right up to it and see it. It is 86 Candlewick or Rono, though. It is not 88. That was the murder of Agnes White. Um, as I said, a bizarre one. But just one of so many different murders that have happened in this area of Edinburgh that are so bizarre. And a lot of them are still unsolved and mysterious. So it was really good to look into that side of things now rather than just ghost stories castles i've kind of added another element now that um i can break i've written up a bit as you know i repeatedly say that sometimes talking about castles gets extremely repetitive as it does so now i have another element that i can add in uh, I, i'm really interested to talk about some more of these murders big big thank you to the listener who sent this over he actually used to stay in this area of edinburgh and he sent me a lot of stories actually like his own personal experiences um, this guy's seen a lot <laughs> and stays in an area that he didn't even realise that this stuff had even happened on his doorstep. That's another thing that I really want to do. I would like to look into my area, like right into where I live, and see if I could find out if anything bizarre had ever happened like on my doorstep. I always, It would shock you the things that happen that you just have no idea. People always ask me if someone's died in my house. Because we do have a lot of strange things that happen in here. Not just to me, but when my dad's here, things happen to my dad when my brother's here. Stuff happens to my brother. So, people always ask me, has someone died in your house? And obviously the number. I've said this before, the number in my house is 666. To me, it's just a number. There's no significance to me of that number. But people always ask me, does strange stuff ever happen there? Like, has someone ever died there? And I'm like, I have no idea. So that is something I'd really like to look into and see if I could find something there. But that's everything, guys. I really hope that you enjoyed the story. And that was something a bit different. If you guys have any thoughts or theories on the Netflix documentary, do get in contact and let me know. And even if you have any thoughts on today's episode, you can get in touch as well. I always reply. Everybody keep safe keep active, keep occupied, and I will 100% see you guys in the next one. Thanks, guys. Bye.